Good evening, everyone. It's Vodka O'Clock, and I'm Amber Love from AmberUnmasked.com. Just a reminder, we are labeled as an explicit podcast and website. So joining me today is Steve Wang, a creature creator, special effects artist, and film director who has worked with the biggest groundbreaking studios in the business, from Stan Winston to Rick Baker. He's worked on some of my favorite movies, like Predator and Hellboy and Underworld and Beetlejuice and these amazing franchises. So, Steve, welcome to Vodka O'Clock. Thank you. I'm uh, happy to be here. Well, this was uh, such a great opportunity to get to talk to you. It's probably going to be a little harder for the listeners because um, you think of creature effects like really needing the visuals, but we will do what we can. Or you can just post links to my Facebook page and they can see all the crazy stuff I have on there, too. Yeah, you have some uh, great sculptures and um, like some of the statues are just massive. Like I can't can't believe how giant they are. So, um, according to Wikipedia, it said that you moved from Taiwan to the U.S. when you were nine years old. Um, so, who joined you when you made such a big move like that? Um, actually, I came with my family. My my father was already here. This this was 1975 when I moved here, uh, and my father was already here with his brothers uh, about a year before, I think. And then uh, when everything was all set, uh, my whole family just kind of got on the plane and we came over. So did you find that being young for a move that was um, into such a different kind of place, do you find that being young was easier or harder to adjust to that? Oh, it was definitely easier. But, I mean, you know, it was uh, for sure it was a culture shock. Uh, Coming from Taiwan, it's completely different over there. So when I came here and and lived in, you know, suburbia, uh, I've never seen so much space that was so spread out. Because where I live, you know, it was out in the countryside, but it was still – there was still kind of city everywhere, and everything was so compact uh, compared to the compared. To, I moved to San Jose, California. So, um, but you know, I, I took to it instantly. I mean, I I loved it when I first moved here, and my first day of school, I didn't speak any English except three words, which was I don't know. And oh. anybody talked to me, I just say I don't know. So they asked me what my name was, I say I don't know. Um, but within one school year of sitting in a in a, uh, a private class with a bunch of other uh, students that were the, the problem students, uh, they I just I just read these cue cards all day long, like you know, for the entire school year. And within one school year, I, I spoke pretty fluent English, um, so it, it worked out well for me. That's really remarkable. They always say that kids pick up things easier. Yeah, I, I can't imagine trying to learn uh, another language as an adult. I'm sure it's very difficult. So, um, with your family, did you have brothers and sisters? <clears throat> yes, I have um, two brothers and three sisters. We're a pretty big family. Like, if we were the Brady Bunch, I would be Peter. <laughs> <laughs> so, is anybody else in the family an artist? Um, well, my youngest brother, Mike, um, he plays some instruments, you know, like saxophone, keyboards. Uh, he's also a commercial director, and uh, him and I actually produced uh, a TV show together about three or four years ago called Common Writer Dragon Night. And that aired on national television, uh, Saturday morning television, for the whole year of 2009, I think, 2010. So, yeah, he's, you know, he, he's also in the film business. Um, and that's it. Everybody else, no one else is in the film business or, or, or anything artistic. My, my son, is, uh, he's an artist, too, actually. He's, he's 20 years old now, and, and he's in a sophomore in college. He goes to Otis uh, College of Art and Design, and he's quite talented. 
So did you always have art in your life, or was it something that came to you at a, at a particular time? Um, I started drawing since I was four years old. And um, it was funny because my older brother, who's not an artist, he started drawing when I was when I was four. And seeing him draw made me interested in drawing. And he stopped soon after, and I never did. And uh, I always had a fascination with uh, with you know anything fantasy, science fiction, and masks in particular. Uh, but in Taiwan, as a kid, the masks that they had were just printed on cardboard with cutout holes, and so I was never exposed to like full latex over the head masks until I came to the United States and when I came it was around close to Halloween time and I went to the first toy store and saw these things and it it blew me away I was so amazed at the quality of these masks that I started collecting them and by the time I was age 14 I collected 30 of them already uh, just bought off my allowances and, and for chores that I've done you know stuff like that and around that time is when I decided, you know, I, I really want to know how this stuff is made. I, I have an interest in it. Um, you know, movies like The Howling and Wreck and Werewolf and The Thing was just starting to, you know, was, hasn't started coming out yet, but a lot of the movies were starting to gear towards special makeup. And that's when I realized, okay, you have to sculpt, you have to make molds. And there was not a whole lot of information back in those days. So anything I found out was through books about theatrical makeup or sometimes Famous Monster or Starlog would have, you know, some, uh, or Cinemagic would have some tutorials on how to do stuff. So basically I was self-taught on, on how to do all this stuff. Well, I think it has really come a long way to a consumer level because we, we had those paper masks with the holes punched up eyes too. And um, the, the, the latex ones, um, I don't think I ever had one. I remember my brother having a real scary one, though. Yeah. And oh, they're, so, they're so magical, especially when you're a kid. Yeah. And then there, then things happen, like, um, when I think about the horror movies that have become legends, like Scream and, uh, you know, the Freddy and Jason and all of these things where the makeup effects and the costumes are such key elements to the storytelling, uh, immediately that stuff has like then become you know, down to a consumer level where anybody can go and get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, such, especially now in the, in the digital age, you know, Internet. I wish I, I had the Internet when I was a kid because now, you know, I get, I get emails all the time from people wanting to learn this stuff and they say, hey, you know, how do you make this? How do you make that? And I'm like, seriously, YouTube. <laughs> go on YouTube. Everything you want to learn is on YouTube. You know, when I was a kid, I had to go to the library and try to find stuff, and there was just nothing out there. That was really hard to learn when I was a kid because there was no schools that I knew of, and you know, so I learned through trial and error. It took a much longer time to learn than it would have if I had YouTube as a kid. Right. I know um, some of the tutorials are done by Smooth On, which uh, is one of the product manufacturers. They make the raw materials. Mm-hmm. And um, then there's websites like Instructables and, um, you know, like I said, it's so, sometimes it's probably a little overwhelming for them to figure out how how to learn to do it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I can see that. I wish they could uh, teach it more in in art schools. Yeah, um, yeah, I think the problem with makeup effects now is that, you know, the, the, with the advent of computer technology, so much of what we used to do is being replaced by that. 
that, you know, people, a lot of times they ask me for advice, they say, oh, you know, I really want to get into makeup effects, and and what advice would you give me? And I always feel like the, the bad guy, you know, the bearer of the bad news, and say, you know, the, our industry is dying, and there's hardly any work out here, and people are, people are struggling, who've been in the business a long time. And I try to advise them, like, if you really want to do it, do it anyway, but don't count on it as something that you can do for a living. Um, if, you, if you're lucky enough, you can... You might be able to do it, but you know, don't invest your whole life into it because it's treacherous out here now. It's it's so difficult, and especially for even people who've been in the business all their life. So you know, it's um, I just think that that overall, yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know. I just think that people just need to know at least if you're going to invest all this money into, into schools and stuff, at least invest in something that's more viable as a career than makeup effects. It's it's hurting out here right now. Yeah, so studying the the CGI instead. Well, you know, even that now, I don't know if you've heard recently, but companies like Digital Domain has gone bankrupt and, and Rhythm and Hughes have ch- filed for Chapter 11. All the big companies now are closing down because they simply just can't, can't afford to do it at the prices the studio wants. So what happened now is that a lot of the visual effects, which people aren't really aware of, you know, companies like ILM, they have they have alliances out in China, in Taiwan, you know, in different countries that can they can outsource shots to that can do it for much cheaper. So whereas you know a few years ago the CGI industry was booming, people were going to school, there there was a, you know there's with an influx of, of, of talent out there. Now there's there's um there's a surplus, and it's it's horrible now even for them for for that industry. So I don't I don't know where this is all going, but I know it's not staying here. So did you ever uh, consider doing something then besides the the creature work? Well, you know, the, I, I sort of have. You know, the, the last, I, even back when I was doing creature effects in the early 2000s, I started meeting video game companies like Blizzard Entertainment and, and who were fans of the stuff that I was doing. And so I was, I worked with them maybe once every couple of years. I'll make some kind of a realistic display of their characters for them, the trade shows. And that sort of, I was glad I did that because over the years, um, I started doing more and more and sort of became known for doing those kind of high-end statues. And now, this last couple of years, that's, that's mostly all I do now, is, is these realistic statues with the, the game companies. And, uh, and I love that because, you know, as a kid, <coughs> excuse me, as a kid, I wasn't really interested in makeup effects. It was just sort of I love masks, I love monsters, you know, and, and the makeup effects part just sort of kind of fell into what I was interested in, so I ended up doing that quite a bit. But what my first love was always, you know, Halloween masks and making displays, statues, characters, you know, that you can display. So I've kind of come full circle now. I'm getting hired to do those things for the game companies. And so that's mostly what I do now, and, and, and it's been keeping, you know, my business afloat and... I still do movies uh, when they come through. Like I did one, I just did one, uh, Beauty and the Beast, that's being directed by Christoph Gantz. They, they just wrapped this week. Uh, it's being shot in Berlin. So we we did that film, and then we're getting gearing up to do another film in the next week or two. So you know, they when they come through, we do do them, but they're not our main focus anymore because you know the work just isn't there compared to other aspects. You know, first and foremost, I'm an artist. So now you know I'm putting myself out there like I can do bronze statues, I can do this, I can do that. Anything that requires our skill set, we can do. And that's kind of mostly what we've been doing now. But did you ever 
think to yourself, um, I should have gone to uh, law school? <laughs> no. No, not at all. Never. Um, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm a firm believer, you know, since I was a kid, that if you're not doing what you love, you're never going to be happy. And having that, growing up in an Asian family and having that mentality really kind of made me the black sheep of the family because traditionally in an Asian family, what's important is, is, you know, when you grow up to have a good job, whether it's a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, those are like the top three. And then when I told my, my parents I wanted to be a monster maker, I wanted to be a makeup artist, I wanted to make masks, they thought I was crazy. And, and so they, you know, my, my siblings, you know, not so much my sibling, like my older brother, uh, he used to kind of joke around with me a lot and kind of make fun of me. Like, oh, yeah, you know, he's my brother. He's the loser of the family. Because none of them really understood what is it that I wanted to do and, and how viable the business it was until I just say, well, I'm done with high school. I'm moving down to L.A., and within the first week I came to LA, I got a job at Stan Winston's, and from that point on, things just, just you know, just rolling. And I was working a lot and made good money. And then at one point, my mom was uh, having financial troubles with her business, and I gave her a, a ton of money. And that's when she realized, wow, you're actually like making real money. I'm like, yeah. And I love what I do. And so since then, they've been very supportive. But I, I had to prove it to them that that it was a viable thing, a career that I, I, I have. You know. I can't even imagine what was it like to to spend your days in Stan Winston's studio. Um, well, you know, it's cool. Stan Stan was really of all the people I've worked with, all the old masters, Stan was really the closest thing to a mentor I ever had. Um, you know, he he really gave me a lot of opportunities. Like when we were doing Monster Squad, I, you know, I I was hired because I came in with a portfolio and I showed him stuff he'd never seen before. And I'd only been to business for a year at that point, and I was 20 years old. And uh, so he hired me and my partner, Matt Rose, uh, who also came down from San Jose, uh, to hit up the creature from the Black Lagoon. And we were like, you know, two 20-year-old kids with one year of experience in the business. Uh, and we innovated this whole, you know, monster suit technology that's still being utilized to this day. And, um, and just him having the trust in us to do something like that. And then after that, it gave me Predator to, to, to head up and do... You know, um, and Stan was extremely supportive. I mean, Stan taught me so many lessons in life. And one of the one of the most important lessons that he had taught me was we were down in Mexico on Predator, and you know it's a crazy build. We had we had eight weeks to build everything, and I didn't sleep for like three days at a time. And we got it done. We were down there, and I wasn't entirely happy with everything we did because there just was no time. And Stan came up after one day of shooting. He says, "Wow, you know, I just want to tell you, you know, you did a great job on this." And I just went off like, you know, ah, oh, but I wish I had more time to do this, and this is wrong, and I wish I had, you know. And Stan just stopped me, and he says, you know, you really need to stop sometimes and just take in everything you've done. And just, if you think you've done a good job, you should just just enjoy it. Just, you know, take the compliment. Feel good about your work, and then move on and do and keep doing, you know, and building from there. Appreciate what you've done. And I realized that, I had never done that before. I was always like the self-hating perfectionist and nothing's perfect, everything sucks, and I got to do it better next time because I'm a hack and, you know. And um, so Stan taught me that, and that really resonated with me because then when I started to appreciate what I was doing more, um, I felt that I was actually growing uh, artistically and more creatively because I didn't feel that pressure of having to be perfect anymore, you know. 
And I've always adapted James Cameron's uh, saying, you know, with the, James Cameron says he's not a perfectionist, he's a greatest. It doesn't have to be perfect, it just has to be great. And I was like, yeah, that works for me. So by taking the pressure off, I think you're allowed to be a better artist because you're not afraid to experiment, to try things. You're not afraid to fail. The, the, the fear of failure is what keeps most people from developing to their full potential, I believe. Is that the same advice that as a father you give to your kids? Oh, absolutely. My kids are, are amazing. They're my son and my daughter. They're, they're, what amazed me was that you know when I talked to them, I... I never realized how much they actually listen to me when I talk because they start to tell me things about what they do. And I'm like, wow, where did you learn this? And, and they're like, we learned it from you. And, you know, I'm just like, that's amazing that they paid attention because I, I teach them. I don't, I don't cry over spilled milk. You know, like in a lot of families, when a kid spill, spills some milk on the table, they start crying because they're, they're afraid of the consequences that's to come. When my kids spill milk or they break the glass, we have we don't react at all. It's like oh, clean it up, you know. It's just like we don't. I don't put any value behind that kind of uh, that kind of environment. It, it's not nurturing. It's not. It doesn't allow a child to to expand their mind and to to you know. I, I teach them don't don't afraid to fail. You'll you'll never do anything great if you don't take chances, you know. And you have to believe in what you're doing and you have to just do your best. And at the, at the end of the day, you failed. You know what? You didn't. You learn. You learn an amazing lesson in life, and, uh, and 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 that's really resonated with them. And they they're they're very well adapted, and they're you know wonderful kids. Well, since you were told that lesson so young yourself, because I consider you know twenty early twenties pretty young. Oh, yeah. uh, did you? Did you really um, grasp that concept, or did did you still ever go through periods where you felt like quitting? Um, no, I've never ever felt like quitting. Um, I was because see, this is how it works in our business, <clears throat> and, you, and it's become a parody now. You know, where a company will come up to you and say, hey, "Okay, we want you to build this thing, and this has never been done before. And uh, you know, do you think you can do it?" And we always say yes, no matter what it is. We always say yes, and then when they say great, you know, and they give us the money, then we're like, "Oh my God, how are we going to do this?" And then and that's where and that's where we grow. As artists, you know, then we figure we figure it out. We always figure it out, no matter what. Every job that I've done, you know, I, I can guarantee you, probably about seventy-five percent of what I do, um, all the time, even to this day, are stuff I've never done before. And you know, and and so a lot of time it's my job to, to figure it out. And uh, and that to me is exciting. It's it's always scary, no matter what. You're always going to be afraid, like oh sh- crap, you know, and there's not enough time to figure this out. How am I going to do it? But then the other half of me is like, hell yeah, let's get down, let's, let's do it, let's 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 learn, let's learn something, you know. Um, I can't, so, can't yeah. even imagine with some of the um, the the fact that there's there's not just makeup, you know, applied to a human body, but there's the armor and all of that articulation that you need to be able to make sure that when you are dealing with actors in inside there that they need to be able to move they need they need some comfort level yeah uh, because i know that um like for example like the the iron man suit that it got to a point i guess where they had to cg a lot of that mm-hmm. because just it just wasn't working to mm-hmm. keep to keep you know Robert Downey Jr. at a particular comfort level, right. and then I've seen the behind-the-scenes stuff of like 
Hellboy. Mm-hmm. But it's two o'clock in the morning, and you're getting him in the chair. And it's like four something, however many hours of makeup applications. And you know, anytime I've heard an interview with Ron Perlman, he's just happy to do it. Yeah, yeah, and 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 trust me, he's that guy's gone through hell. That guy's wore probably more makeup than any single person on this planet. In terms of makeup days, you know. Yeah, being the beast uh, from the eighties and yeah, that cowboy. Yeah, and, I, and I'll tell you, he has bad days like like everyone else. I mean, sometimes you just you sit there, you're just like, oh my god, I can't do this anymore. Uh, and then and then there's days you come in, it's like, all right, let's come on, put put this on, let's go out and kick ass. You know, everybody has their days, but but that man is very patient and and he's amazing behind makeup. He he has this amazing ability. To bring characters to life, you know, like like Doug Jones, another one, the guy who played Abe Sapien. He's same thing. He's one of the most amazing, patient actors I've ever worked with, and he understands the process of makeup so well that sometimes when we're applying makeup on his arm, as we're applying it, he'll just kind of move his arm so that we don't have to move to just to assist us to to apply it. You know, um, it's it's great. You know, and uh, and I think it really. It all boils down to one simple concept, I believe, and that is you learn to appreciate what you have. You, know, you appreciate the opportunity. You appreciate just what an amazing situation that you're in. And as long as you don't forget that, as long as you don't get complacent with what, what you're doing and what you have, it can be, you, you can live an amazing life, a, a very fulfilling life, you know, creative life. Thinking about movies like Hellboy and Predator, and I know that you said that today you were in meetings, all day. Mm-hmm. So, um, now that you've been in the business for 20 years, has it has your schedule gotten easier to handle? Uh, no, <laughs> it's it's kind of tough. I mean, normally, I mean, for the longest time, people were always asking me, "Oh, why haven't you uh, started your own shop? You know, why are you working as an art director for all these shops and doing all the work for them? You know, shouldn't you do it for yourself? You can make more money. You could do whatever." Uh, my reasoning has always been very simple, is that if I run my own business, I won't have the opportunity to do the work myself because I'll be too busy running a business, you know. And that, that was the only reason why I didn't do it for the longest time because when I go, when I go art direct for shops like Spectral Motion or Patrick Zetopoulos, you know, I, I, I go in there, I can, I can work on the schedules and, and whatever, but also the condition is always I'm the frontline soldier. I want to be out there. I want to make this stuff. Myself, you know, I want to have a crew working with me, and we're going to build everything. It's all hands-on for me, so that's where I get the most fulfillment. Um, eventually, I, you know, I started, you know, breaking away, and then realized, you know, I need to get my own business now, and because the industry is changing, and I'm moving out of the film industry a little bit more, and and creating my own niche with this whole video game company statues we're making. So, at the beginning, when I got into that, I I got in and did all the work, and I was just doing, you know. Average is if people were doing eight-hour days, I was doing 12, 16-hour days. And after years of that, you just realize, wow, you know, I, there's got to be a balance there. And, and the balance is I have to do less work on the floor and more in the administrative end because somebody has to do, you know, has to keep the business running and has to meet clients, has to do this, has to do that, just to keep the business uh, thriving. So, so I split my chores between that and now it's comes to the point. I just formed a, a new company with my longtime friend and partner, Eddie Yang. Our new studio is called Alliance Studio. Uh, and we're not, whereas Eddie, he's uh, had a lot of experience in the digital world, and I've been also in the practical world. Now we, 
we combine our, our resources and our talents, and now we're a full sort of full solution for the studios. You know, we, we can do concept designs to actual digital builds to actual physical builds, just basically anything, one-stop shop. Uh, having done that now, and having to even do more meetings and, and take on more, you know, side jobs and this and that, it's become even more difficult. So um, I just accepted that my days are going to be long, and if I want to do any artwork, I have to do it after everybody's gone and left for the day. I can stay late in the shop and work. Um, it's a, it seems like a sacrifice, but it, it's not bad because I'm getting to do what I love. So, you know, it's, I think it's all, it, it all works out in the end, but you just have to work a lot harder. Well, I know that you're, you've also gone to some of the conventions like the monster shows and Comic-Con. So what has your reaction been when you see cosplayers that these are just, uh, you know, folks that put together these amazing outfits right in their homes and their garages and everything. And that's something that you've helped design and you've helped just bring to the franchise. And all of a sudden there's somebody just who's a fan and wants to be that. Oh, I think it's wonderful. I mean, I think probably the most prominent cosplay character uh, that I, I'm exposed to, probably on a daily level because I get tagged on Facebook so much is the predator is the whole culture of, of, of predator cosplayers, you know, um, they're from, amazing. Yeah. From like the hunters layer, you know, it's a, it's a huge costume for them and there are just so many members there and some of the costumes they make are, are amazing. You know, I've seen a lot that were definitely movie quality and they're just so obsessed with, with the predator and where, you know, they, they'll ask me questions like, Oh, on this corner here, the predator is this. And I'm like, I'm sorry, guys, I, I worked on Predator for a total of three months, about 25 years ago. <laughs> and I don't live Predator. I don't breathe Predator. I don't, you know, that was just one job I did out of many that took off, you know, and, and really helped my career. And I'm really appreciative of it. But I don't know the Predator as much as you guys know the Predator, to be honest with you, because you guys study every inch of that thing. And I built it once, like 25 years ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I find that to be really funny because they, they, they think that I know every corner, every inch of it, but in reality, they know the Predator better than I do. That's the, that's the irony of it all. Um, but I think it's great. I mean, you know, it's having been, you know, growing up as a kid and, and loving, like, you know, Ultraman, loving Frankenstein, the, 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 the creature from the Black Lagoon, you know, and, and having all those movies really influenced me as a, as a kid and sort of helped shape my, shape my career. Uh, I think it's great to kind of pay it forward and, and be involved in creating something so iconic that has influenced and inspired so many other people of this generation. So, you know, I, I think that's just that's just the way, you know, I think human human uh, civilization works, I guess. You know, we just, each generation inspires the next generation and, and we just keep it flowing. So it's it's all great. Yeah, and I mean, when you think about uh, folks, like my cost get into like you know a few hundred dollars mm -hmm. but when i think about people that put thousands of dollars into something that they're wearing to conventions and you know and i understand we do a lot of charity work and everything but the batman latex suits mm -hmm. like you're saying predator yeah yeah, yeah that's a lot of money to put in yeah and, and some of them are, are really really good they're very well made you know these people could, could be working in the in the film industry i think I think the only difference with that would be just they would just have to have the discipline that they're probably not used to because when you work in your garage and you spare time after work, it's very different. They're probably not used to showing up to work and having 
this amount of work to do and have to be have to figure it out very quickly, get it all done and done right, you know. Um, but certainly they're talented enough to just doing that wouldn't be a problem. It's just a matter of just doing it and getting into the groove of it. As an art director on any of the franchises, have you really felt like you needed to hold your ground with thing like when perhaps like a director didn't <clears throat> design or had a problem something? Oh yeah. All the time. Um you know, I, I've I've been on shows where I've worked for art directors that were just very agreeable with the director. Anything the director wants they get. Uh I'm not that kind of art director. Um I, I tell them right off the bat, you know, you hired me for my vision, for my eye and anything I don't agree with or anything I think is gonna be a bad idea, it's gonna be my job to tell you. And, you know, so I'm just letting you know right for day one, I'm not going to be your favorite guy, but at least you'll know at the end of the day that I've I've made an effort to help you obtain the best result that you know that you're trying to do. So, you know, a lot of times people will say, "Oh, I love this, I love that." I'll just say, "Well, you know, I, I think this is cool, but what about this? What about that? You know, would this makes sense if you did it this way. How about this? You know, it's all for me. The art of doing creatures, the art of doing characters." It's all about storytelling. Everything we do is very, it's very theatrical. You know, we don't sculpt things to be totally realistic to the eye. We sculpt, we exaggerate it 10, 20 percent because, you know, it has to read on, on, on film in, in a very different way. So, so we, I take all that into consideration. Like when I work on a character, I don't just go, oh, it's a robot. I'm designing a robot. It's like, oh, if it's a robot, I try to find out what's the story. Why is, you know, even if it's not in the script. Why see the way he is? What's his background? Let's make him a background for him. You know, and who's the guy that made him, and, and and what was available to him, and what kind of resources? You know, there's all these all these things that once you do it right, you know, you look at a character, it, you can look at it and it'll tell a whole story without having to say a word. So these are all sort of important things that I keep in mind as a as a creature designer, you know, to to um, to aid me in in, in doing the, the kind of work that I do. What's the um, the difference in process? When you have something that already had a visual presentation like Hellboy that came from comics, mm-hmm. something like Editor, which had prose descriptions. Was there, you know, did you because of you know Mike Mignola already had a vision? Was that was that harder? Say I I need to make sure that it's exactly like this. Well, um, I didn't. I didn't build the Pellboy makeup per se. My my good friend Matt Rose did the original one for the first movie, and you know he stayed pretty faithful to the overall design. But what he did was he took advantage of Ron Perlman's face because Ron already has such an amazing face for that makeup, and he just kind of did it to to bring out the best of, of Ron's face and and still keep within the design of the Hellboy. At least that's what I saw when I when I saw his work. Uh, I was more in charge of, of Abe Sapien doing Abe Sapien. And uh, and Abe Sapien in the comic compared to the final makeup is very different. Um, in fact, from the concept design, they had a bunch of concept designers from the production side do sketches. I did some sketches. Uh, Jose Fernandez, who's another brilliant, uh, amazing sculptor, uh, he uh, did a maquette that ultimately Guillermo del Toro really uh, loved. And uh, and so that maquette was, was, was given to me, and I took that and I translated that into the makeup. So to speak. So I had to make a few more changes as I went to sort of to sort of suit how it fits the actor and you know my own kind of personal sensibility. And then I designed the paint job to go with it and how it all comes together. It was a very collaborative effort. But on a character like that, um, I think it was easier because you know he he's a living, breathing fish man. 
So there was a lot of sort of, you know, as I went to Guillermo and, and explained things to him about how I wanted to approach things, you know, I, I had a lot of sort of ammunition, like why it needs to be this way. Uh, one thing in particular was, you know, uh, Guillermo keeps saying to me, I want Abe Sapien to be bone dry, bone dry. You know, I don't want any moisture on him. I don't want anything like that. And I didn't think that made any sense. You know, I think, well, he's a fish guy out of water. You know, fish is, is a very moist, wet kind of character. Why would they be bone dry? And I think it ultimately came down to the DP doesn't, don't like to light anything glossy. And I say, well, that's cool, but, you know, it doesn't make any sense. You have to go, you know. And so what I did was when I did the makeup, I put this sheen on him, and I proved to Guillermo, like, here's without sheen. Here's with the sheen. See how much better and more realistic and lifelike it looks. And, of course, Guillermo saw it, and he agreed, and that's what we went with. So a lot of times we just have to, we just have to prove our point, you know, to the director and say, this is what we want to do with it, and here's why. And if it makes sense to them, a lot of times they'll go with it. Well, one of the things that happens in uh, when we're talking about taking comics and, and translating them into movies is we do see changes, and the, the most recent one that's coming up will be the Superman outfit uh-huh. um, because he's no longer going to have the red underwear on the outside that's been so iconic for for so many decades. Thank God. <laughs> um, you know, so when it changed in the comics, people said, oh, they're just doing that because of the movie. And mind you, there's probably, there's like, you know, multiple titles and there's different, you know, it's comics. So there, you know, there's probably like 17 Wolverine books and five Batman books. And so, you know, um, with Superman, there, there will always be opportunity to still see the, the version that a lot of us grew up with, the Christopher Reeve version. Sure. And I, and I can guarantee you this will not be the last Superman film ever made. <laughs> or, or the last reinvention of Superman film ever made. Exactly. So um, it, uh, is there some sort of like it, it, advice and way that you can calm the fans down when this sort of change happens? Like, oh my God, Wonder Woman had pants and people flipped out. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, just there's, there's, there's no way to calm these people down. Um, I, no, it's I've dealt with fans before. I, I actually uh, executive produced a TV show called Common Writer Dragon Knight. It was a Saturday morning, you know, TV show adapted from a, a Japanese superhero show uh, that was very iconic for for Japan. It's, the show's still going in Japan. And no matter what you do, no matter how great you think you've made it or what, there's always going to be some people that. are absolutely going to adore it and some people that are absolutely going to hate it so much so that they won't even watch your show because they hate the fact that it was even made so you can't appease you can't appease everybody that's just that's just i think that's just the way it is you know and because of that my personal feeling is like well screw it you know if you're going to do a film do what you want to do with it you know dude you know i'm i'm not a i'm not a purist when it comes to comic books or or even Star Wars, like people, you know, I'm a big Star Wars fan, and I have friends like, how do you feel about Lucas, you know, uh, bastardizing the Star Wars films and putting new CGI shots in it? I'm like, great, I want to see it. And they were like, that's blasphemy, how could you, I'm like, look, it's his film, you know, he obviously wasn't happy with the first go, he's getting a chance to do version 2, version 3, version 4, however many he wants to do. It's his right to do it. And besides, I have seen the version already, the original version, I want to see version 2 or version 3, and see what he does with it. I find that to be fascinating and interesting. I don't have to always like what he does, but, you know, the original version already exists, so what's the big deal? And, and I think this, the same goes with superhero designs, too. 
You know, sometimes they'll make a costume that looks amazing. Sometimes they'll make a costume that won't look so amazing. But it's not the end all. There's going to be other films. And, and, you know, and I think if you deny people the chance to experiment, to try things, you're never going to do anything creative. So, you know, Super, Superman without the underwear, personally, Superman, the, the, the Christopher Reeve movie, the, that one, that's one of my all-time favorite films. I'm literally, I've seen that film over a hundred times. At one time, I could even recite every single line of dialogue from that film, okay? Now, the new Superman without the underwear, I love it. <laughs> Bring it on. So great. So great to hear somebody excited who's, who knows what the outside is like. Yeah, my partner, Eddie Yang, he actually modeled all the, 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 the crests, you know, the belts, all the armor pieces on Superman. He actually did that for the, for the actual film. So... You know, but that's not the reason why. Uh, you know, I, I, I design-wise, I think you know it's Superman. But you know, I'm more excited about about what Zack Snyder is going to do with the franchise. You know, like like for instance, the difference between Christopher Nolan film, uh, the Dark Knight films, versus the original series. You know that Joe Schumacher and, and Tim Burton had done. They're completely different. But I love watching both versions because there's room for both. Right, and. Even with the the Superman changes, I mean Spider Man changes with the from Sam Raimi to the recent one. I didn't think I was going to like that recent one, and I actually liked it so much. Oh, me too. I love that film. I thought I thought the new Spider Man was great, you know, and and I loved the original Spider Man series too. And I thought that first Spider Man costume was perfect. Like they they nailed it. It was great. When I saw the images of the the new Spider Man, I wasn't so excited about it because I thought some of the aesthetically some of the stuff kind of bothered me. But you know what? When I watched the movie. That the, the suit never came up once in my mind as being as bothering me at all because at that point it didn't matter. It served the film just fine, you know, and and the the characters were great and the the story was fun and I felt like I was watching, you know, just a really engaging film. So you know, in, in the end, to me, that's all that matters. The film engages you. You like the characters. A lot of stuff that may bother you probably won't bother you much at all. It's really funny that you say that because one of the the biggest. Um, costume jokes in the superhero world anyway the batman nipples yes and you know honestly when i watched that movie i didn't it didn't dawn on me one single bit until years later when i realized how many people made jokes about it Mm -hmm. i just didn't notice it yeah and it's funny too because they didn't do it for for the batgirl you know right (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, they're they're always photoshopping out nipples. Like, for Angelina Jolie, she hasn't had nipples in like I don't know. How long. Yeah, exactly. She probably doesn't have nipples in real life now. <laughs> so, um, do you have because of your crazy, crazy schedules and stuff, and the fact that you're involved with the video games? Do you have hobbies like you sit down and play the games? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm a I'm a parent, so I have my kids. Um, you know, I've been divorced for a while, but. I see my kids just about every single weekend, and uh, so I, I always make it a priority to spend time with my kids, even though they're all they're kind of adults now. We're still very we're still very close, and uh, and then you know I spend time with my girlfriend. We you know we they I think that's a good excuse for me to have to get out of the shop and and get out in real life. And uh, she's an artist too, so a lot of times uh, I she ends up working longer than me. Then I have to go and stay spend time with her. When she's working, um, but as far as hobbies, I, I, I uh, I'm a totally I'm a gamer. Uh, I love playing video games, not all games. I'm I'm mostly into like uh, 
first-person shooters like Half-Life 2 is one of my all-time favorites, Doom, you know, the Call of Duty series, you know. So anytime I get a free chance, I'll sit down and I'll play video games, even if it's just for 10 minutes, you know, at a time or whatever. Um, but, you know, but as far as having a, a life, it's, it's very hard, you know, in, in what I do because, because I am so busy. And um, I just try to find a balance there. And, you know, um, I was told once by somebody who read my poem that, oh, you, my lifeline and my work line is joined together and it's just one. And they said, do you, are, are you a workaholic? And I go, I don't think so, but I suppose by other people's standard, I am. <laughs> but for me, you know, I mean, I, I, I love what I do. And, and one of my... Reduce is very different, so it might not feel quite like work all the time. No, it's, it's I mean, I, I'm still just amazed that I'm getting paid to do what I do, you know, and I'm making a decent living at it. So, you know, again, my, one of my missions in life right now is that, you know, we, is that I want to do as much art, leave behind as much art before I die for people to enjoy. So to me, that's not really work. You know, that's just, that's my passion. That's what I want to do. So, well, one of the things that I, that I find as like such a great fun hobby is pumpkin carving. And because I know that, you know, you said that you, how much you love Halloween. Mm-hmm. Wondered like what Halloween at your house must be like. Ah, uh, sadly, Halloween, it's probably the worst holiday for me because I'm usually so busy. I don't have time for Halloween. <laughs> I don't even have time to go to the parties anymore. I just, you know, it's, it's hard. If I, if I actually make it out to a Halloween party, it, it would be amazing. Uh, but I do love the holiday, and, and I love I love seeing kids trick or treat. Even though they don't trick or treat much anymore in my neighborhood, it's kind of sad seeing all that. Um, but again, you know, I I, I the, the thing that I love about it is when we get to September and I go to like Party City or Walmart, whatever, and you start seeing all the Halloween decorations, the Halloween masks. If I see that, it makes me feel like a kid again, and so I love that. That's pretty cool. Do you remember uh, anything that you've dressed up as for Halloween? Uh, I was uh, Darth Maul once, or twice, I think, uh, years ago. Um, one time I was the Matrix. Yes, the entire Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> now she had dressed up as Neo or something like that. Because uh, it was the easy costumes you could just put together literally overnight or something, you know. Uh, I, I rarely ever do any kind of makeups anymore or, or stuff like that because you, you need a lot of time to actually design and build and and uh, don't have time for that anymore. So, um, But I enjoy going out to the parties whenever I can and, and seeing all the cool stuff that everybody else is making. So. I wondered if you, um, because you've done some uh, you know, acting as well and, and writing and everything, knowing what the actors have to go through for all of that makeup, you know, thinking about Abe Sapien and, and Hellboy, all those eyepieces and the makeup and the fur and everything. Did you ever go through that yourself so that you know what they're feeling like? Oh, yeah. I mean, before I started applying makeup on actors, I was applying it on myself. You know, uh, one of my first projects at age 14 was I built a full monster suit, uh, and I entered a contest, and I stood behind stage for an hour and a half inside this suit, almost passed out from, from heat exhaustion. So... I've had exposure to all this stuff very early as a kid, so so I know I know exactly what they go through, and I know and I know how to call their bullshit if they're just being difficult. <laughs> they're like what what I've done this before. I've slept in makeup, you know. I, I've been in it for eighteen hours and I slept in it from day two, you know. So I know what it's like. It's not it's not as hard as as they, some people might want to say that it is. What what's harder 
for an actor, I think, is just to be sitting on set all day and not be used. And it comes the 11th hour. All right, we're going to use you now. Now perform. I mean, that's hard. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I appreciate what they do for sure. I mean, I've been on so many sets and I've, I've directed many actors before. You know, my own my own movies and my own TV shows, and you know, they don't they don't have a very easy job. I can say that. So you mentioned um, that you just finished wrapping on New Beauty and the Beast. Now, this um, a movie. This is not the CW show. No, this is a, a full-length feature. It's uh, it's shot in. Uh, it's a French movie. The director is Christophe Gans, who did uh, Silent Hill and Brotherhood of the Wolves. He's a very very good director, very visual director. And uh, um, Patrick Tatopoulos actually was the designer on the show, and he brought me on to build the beast. So we built that. Um, we built a whole suit for him, you know, a fur suit. And then uh, we built, uh, we designed the head of his face, what he would look like. And it's kind of, it's being done very similar to where the wild things are, where the faces are going to be digital. So we actually designed and built the face here. And we we gave them uh, assets to scan uh, in in Germany, and then uh, based on the displays, you know, the reference pieces that we've made for them, they're going to match the, the character to our designs, but it'll perform like uh, with the actor's own face. So they, they do a whole performance capture process with the actor, and Vincent Cassell plays the Beast. He's a great actor, so all his expressions will get translated onto the Beast's face, much like it was done in Avatar. So I'm very excited about it. I, I think I've, all the stills that I've seen from set, everything just looks amazing. And uh, the script's great. You know, it's a really charming script. It's not, it's not pretentious. It's not um, like a reboot, you know, with rock and roll music or something crazy like that. As far as I can tell, it's a very, it's a nice modern telling of just a classic story. And, and it takes place as a period piece. And, you know, it's going to be beautiful. And it's made, it's made for kids, too. It's, it's, you know, it's a family film. Oh, that's really exciting because I know a lot of the fairy tales that's coming out now is all very dark, very like um, not rated R necessarily, but very PG thirteen. Yeah. No, this is this movie's not dark at all. It's it's very charming and it's it's you know it's it's a love story between the the Beast and and Belle and it's um the script is great. It's it's so you know I I have high hopes for it because when I was reading it I really felt a lot of uh, emotions. You know, and I really kind of grew to like the character just from reading words on a page. So I know it's gonna it's gonna be really cool. That's good. Do you have any um, idea when it would be released? Um, I don't know. You know, they they literally just wrapped this week. Okay. So so um, you know, usually when a film wraps, you have between I don't know six to, six months to a year before it comes out. So sometimes. Okay. Probably end of this year to early 2014, I would imagine. All right. And are are you going to be able to uh, visit any conventions like any of the Comic-Cons or Monster Shows? Yeah, I'm planning to go to Monster Palooza in Burbank in April. Um, not as a guest or anything. I usually just I just show up and I go and you know check out the shows because I'm I'm a big fan myself. Um, and then I'm going to Comic-Con this year. Uh, I'll have a booth there with my partner, uh, at Toynami, uh, the, the big Toynami booth, I have a new uh, collectible company now called Elite Creature Collectibles. And we're going to be debuting our first few pieces uh, there to show the general public. So um, we're getting into collectibles too, and it's, it's very exciting. We just got the Blade franchise and uh, working on a couple of other really high-profile franchises too. So 
keep your ears peeled. Yeah, that'll be great. Um, because I was thinking of, like, I know that there's, like, eye masks, like, specifically for make makeup arts, and stuff, but um, they're not necessarily monster shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never been to the Comic-Con out in San Diego. I've only uh, been to the, the ones on the East Coast, and I can't even imagine how... Um, you know, thinking about getting those giant statues that you make and everything. Because <laughs> I remember like a whole how gigantic it was, mm-hmm. and and you know that the the Blizzard characters tend to be just larger than like to begin with. So it, the amount of space that something like that must take up. Um, yeah, they're really they're 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 really fun. You know, I, I love going to the shows and. And seeing people's reactions to the statues, um, because a lot, a lot of times the people at the, at least at the, at the video game conventions, you know, they, they already know these characters, and a lot of them are big fans of the characters. So to be able to walk up to, to one in real life, you know, and that looks realistic to them, they, I, I look at their expressions, and I just crack up because they're just so blown away by, by it. It's, 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 it's just great fun for us. Um, well, the. I let you go. I I wanted to ask you the the weirdest question I've probably ever asked. <laughs> if one of the creatures came to life to kill you, be your ultimate death by creature. Well, you know, being that I'm known for the predator, I probably you know have to die by the hands of predator if I if if that was going to happen, you know. I think the fans would, the, the predator fans probably wouldn't want it any other way. Anyway, it would be a great honor to be killed by a predator. Um, <laughs> but it's a very, it's a very weird question. I, I will say. And then who would save you? Who would you want to be able to save you? Well, I guess it would have to be the Giver. Okay. Yeah, I think I think the Giver can definitely take on the predator. No problem. problem. <laughs> All right. Um, Steve, did you want to share any of your uh, website links while? Um, yeah, while- yeah. Um, I have two website links. Uh, my new company with Eddie Yang is called AllianceStudio.net. That's A L L I A N C E Studio Singular. dot net. Uh, go check out our, our website. Um, it's new. And then uh, for those of you who want to see like just a crap ton of work that I've done over the years, they can go to my public Facebook page. And it's just facebook.com slash Steve Wang Creature Creator. Um, check it out. You know, you can just, it's, all the photos are public, so you can just, you know, get your fill of monsters, you know, all you want. So, Thank you so much for all of your time, Steve. I know you're really busy. Yeah, yeah no, thank you for uh, taking the time. It's, it's been fun. And a little shout out to Neil Vogue, who, um, <laughs> right? Yep, Neil's awesome. <laughs> Great. All right. Um, well, guys, we're going to let Steve go back to his crazy, exciting life over there in California. Uh, don't forget that you can follow me at Elizabeth Amber on Twitter. And this is Amber Love from AmberUnmasked.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Cheers. <laughs>